You're listening to RE Snapshots, where each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. In this edition of RE Snapshots, we're catching up with Colorado State University weeds researcher, Associate Professor Todd Gaines. Todd has previously worked out of RE, as you probably know, and we thought it would be good to catch up with him to see what he's focusing on at the moment. So Todd joins us. Firstly, how are you, Todd? I'm doing well, Jess. Thanks. It's great to be on here with you again. Yeah, great to have you on. Now, we recently had Martin Villa AU on the podcast, and he talked about what it's like doing research work during the pandemic in Argentina. How have you handled this situation in the U.S.? Well, it's been quite an adjustment, you know, certainly we've been working from home since early March. You know, it's kind of funny. We, a lot of us were at the Weed Science Society of America meeting that was in Maui, Hawaii. It was wonderful. And uh, the first week in March, and we just kind of had this feeling of, wait a second, this is really starting to happen now. And, uh, you know, a big meeting, 600 people. And had it been one week later, I think it probably certainly would have been canceled. So to go from that and then to come back home and, uh, you know, our university campus was shut down for about two months until we were able to have some limited return to the labs. But now we have people working uh, in the labs on limited capacity and all the usual personal protective precautions and those kind of things. And it, it seems to be working. The university has some creative wastewater testing out of the building so they're able to pick up if if they see a spike of coronavirus for example in the student housing and then they can test people so we we do have students back on campus this semester taking classes uh but then as far as you know getting used to a lot more remote working meetings i've spent most of my time working at home so even in this interview you might hear uh one of my kids they sometimes pop in or you'll hear (laughs) something a bit loud in the background but uh, it has been fun you know i think the it's been some some interesting adjustments. On the whole, we've also been able to keep field work going. So a lot of challenges and uh, I think still some uncertainty as we certainly universities look at their budgets. But fortunately, a lot of the research has been able to continue on fairly well. Well, that's really good to hear. And yeah, lots of challenges, like you said, but we're, we're really glad to hear you're going well with it all. And so... We're interested to hear from you on what research you've actually been working on. What have you been looking at recently, Todd? Yeah, well, one I wanted to share with you, Jess, that I think will be uh, especially of interest for your listeners is 2,4-D resistance. As you've covered in a lot of your work and uh, the RE group has has been a leader in this area, 2,4-D resistance is a big deal. We have a lot of species and increasing reliance, uh, use of 2,4-D in a number of systems. But it's a complex mode of action. And to date, really, we still have pretty limited information on how a weed would evolve to become resistant to 2,4-D. You know, what is the exact mutation? So since I started at CSU in 2014, I've had a collaboration with Chris Preston from University of Adelaide. And we have been looking at 2,4-D resistance in Indian hedge mustard. And Chris has done a lot of the work to characterize that and its inheritance. It seems to be a single dominant gene. And then he developed uh, what's called recombinant inbred lines. So he made a genetic cross and then got segregating lines. And we worked with those for a transcriptome experiment. We sequenced the RNA. And uh, a student named Anita Cooper worked on that for several years. And 
it's a great story. She actually had worked on it for probably three years, maybe four. It was on her last day before she left to start a new job with Bayer Crop Science in Germany that she and I were looking at the data set and we actually saw this, this one gene that had kind of been of interest, but we didn't know what it meant. And we saw what looked like a gap in the read coverage. And it turned out that there is a, a deletion in this gene in the resistant genotype. So yeah. uh, you've done, uh, you know, you and Pete Newman have covered uh, the work on 2,4-D resistance talking about the monkey on the back, right? Yeah. So this is one of these genes. It's, it's one of the monkeys on the back. It's a transcriptional repressor called IA2. And it's never really been implicated before as having a role in uh, the 2,4-D response. But what seems to be going on is, uh, again, the resistant plants have uh, it's 27 nucleotides are gone out of this gene, which makes nine amino acids out of the protein. That's a big chunk. That alone is quite unusual. Right. And it's in this kind of region where the protein has to be flexible to kind of give a hug to auxin or to the herbicide, in this case, 2,4-D. And because it's lost this region, it's not able to fully reach around and, and kind of give it a hug. And so therefore, it doesn't get degraded and, and the monkey stays on the back. So what we measured, we took the, this mutant allele and put it in Arabidopsis, the model plant. If we put in the, the regular version of it that is full length, doesn't have the deletion, we have these known responsive genes that respond to auxin and to 2,4-D. They get turned on, and that eventually leads to the cascade of the plant dying. When we have the susceptible version in there, we see those genes get turned on as normal following 2,4-D treatment. But when you have the mutant version in there, those genes don't get turned on. And the plants live, they're highly resistant to 2,4-D, just like the Indian hedge mustard resistant plants are. So we also did some biochemistry work on it and we could see that the, the binding of 2,4-D to the, the mutant version of the protein, it doesn't bind as well and it also disassociates faster. So it's just kind of a, makes it a weaker binding. And ultimately, yeah, this is, I think, our, our first understanding of a 2,4-D resistance mechanism to this level of proof at the, at the molecular level. And it's really exciting. We're um, working on uh, writing up the paper right now. And uh, this, the student who did all the protein and Arabidopsis, the functional work, his name is Marcelo Figueiredo. He's from Brazil. And he uh, actually was able to defend and finish his PhD in July, which I think is quite an accomplishment, finishing it up in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's moved on to a postdoc with a plant hormone lab at Duke University. So we're pretty I'm excited for him as he moves on in his next step in his career. Very interesting research, Todd. Now, you have been busy. You've also recently had a paper feature in the special edition of Herbicide Resistance in Plants, which our RE director, Hugh Becky, put together. And it's called Omics Potential in Herbicide Resistant Weed Management. Can you tell us what this paper looked at, Todd? Yeah, you know, I think this is a, it's an important question in that when we're doing this basic research at the molecular level on weeds kind of ask, okay, how does this matter? You know, how does this make someone help someone actually make a better decision, manage their weeds better, uh, perhaps not use a herbicide if, if their weeds are resistant or, you know, how can we justify how, you know, where this research actually goes? So that's what we are exploring in this paper and, and thinking about omics in terms of a couple of levels. We, we talk about genomics, which is, 
where we study the genome, all the DNA and the gene sequences to try to understand the basis of important traits and needs. We can look at the transcriptome, so all the RNA, and in the case of the mustard project in 2,4-D, that's what we used. You can look at the proteome, and uh, that's the kind of work that Danica Gargan has done, uh, particularly for 2,4-D resistance. You can find interesting leads in, in when you look at all the proteins at once. You can look at all the metabolites at once as well, and sometimes that might tell you something. You could see, oh, you know, there are certain plant hormones or certain secondary compounds that are going up or down. And all this depends on having the computational capacity to analyze the data, the kind of instruments to collect the data. And uh, basically in the paper, we're just, you know, kind of making a call for the type of work that has been done uh, related to weeds and the type of training and, you know, resources we need for people to do that work and then how it could be applied. And again, you know, certainly managing herbicide resistance is front and center. And also, as we think about weeds and, you know, how they also move around globally, we can perhaps have better ways to find those kinds of trends for how they're moving. You know, I just saw a paper that came out from a group in Japan. They uh, identified Palmer amaranth, one of our major uh, weeds we deal with here in the U.S., and it's been introduced to Japan through a shipping port, and they were able to wow. detect glyphosate-resistant Palmer amaranth around the shipping port. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. So it's these these tools that allow us to you know track those kind of things and hopefully have better answers for people. Thinking of the area of genomics, I'm really excited to share that we're uh, nearly uh, fully formed for what will be called the International Weed Genomics Consortium, and this is a effort that involves a lot of people. It's been going on since 2016, the International Weed Science Meeting that was held in Prague. And there were discussions there that, okay, we, we need genomics to help uh, give us better answers and look to the future for weed management. And so what's happened is uh, a lot of academic weed scientists have come together, including people from RE and elsewhere in Australia. Uh, joining together with uh, the crop protection industry. So we have founding member sponsors, including BSF, Bayer Crop Science, Syngenta, and Corteva AgriScience, along with CropLife International, which is the, the Global Herbicide Resistance Action Committee. So they're putting in the funding, and what we're going to do is complete the genomes of 10 important weed species to a really high quality level and we'll do that within three years and make the sequences publicly available we'll also have a database online with uh, these will be hosted and it'll have tools for analysis so researchers wherever they are in the world can log in and and access those tools to uh, work on their weed species and then we'll have networking and conferences to bring people together training on how to use genomics in their research. And, and we're hoping that this will drive new discoveries and, you know, it might range from things that help inform new mode of action, things that help manage resistance, identify it, and perhaps even thinking into, you know, things like gene drive uh, in weeds. Some of those applications will, will need these genomes uh, to come to success. And one of the uh, definitely top weeds we have on our list is ryegrass. And uh, we'll, in fact, be using the VLR1, so kind of the very famous susceptible ryegrass from Australia. So, yeah, I think it's a really exciting development. Again, a lot of people have been involved in the team effort to bring it together and uh, we'll be able to 
have some press release type of information and, and more communication about it uh, pretty shortly. Yeah, that's very exciting. Is there anywhere where people can look if they want to find out more information at the moment or will they just need to keep their eyes peeled? I think just keep their eyes peeled. The website will be weedgenomics.org. If you go there right now, it does exist, but it's not, it, it's kind of, it's an older version where uh, Scott McElroy, who's at Auburn University, set up some tools to use transcriptomics on weed. So it's, it's a good resource, but we're going to kind of relaunch it around the International Weed Genomics Consortium in the near future. That's very exciting. All right. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining us on the podcast and giving us an overview of what you're working on. Very exciting to hear about all of that. And yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time. Wonderful. Yeah. Great to talk to you, Jess. I hope everything's going well there. Bye.